Hello, welcome to One Community, uh, where we speak with community builders, creators around uh, to talk about all things communities and how do you build thriving communities and what it take, what it will take uh, for for people to build communities. So today I have uh, Arvid Khal. Uh, he is the Bootstrap founder. I mean, he goes by the he goes by the title or, or the designation, the Bootstrap founder. But he's, uh, he's I've been following him. It's, uh, it's great to uh, today. It's great to have him on on the show and to chat with him. Welcome, welcome, uh, Arvid. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, so the uh, let's start with like what like your background and what have you been mm-hmm. doing and what yeah and then we'll take it from there sure well i'm i used to be a software engineer that's that's how i would describe myself uh, a couple of years ago but that has changed quite a bit now i'm i'm an entrepreneur i'm a i'm a writer um and, and a software engineer at the same time it's like kind of all together it's it's crazy how one one leads into the other and they all kind of feed off each other um so i would consider myself these three things at at this time i um, I've been building software products for the last couple decades, I guess, like since 2000 and so on, a couple couple years after that I started and then I've been building um, projects for myself. I've, I worked for a Silicon Valley funded VC, VC funded company and uh, started a couple businesses with a couple friends myself that didn't go anywhere. I worked for a regular software enterprise here in Germany that was nice and then in 2017 I co-founded a software as a service business with my girlfriend um, in the education technology segment that was called Feedback Panda we grew that from zero to $55,000 MRR within two years and then we sold the business and since then I've been writing because all of a sudden I had a lot of time if you don't don't run a business 24-7 all of a sudden you need to fill your time with something so I wrote a book called Zero to Sold um, which kind of details the whole story of the business, like what I learned running Feedback Panda, building it and selling it, every single part of the journey is in the book. Um, I didn't intend to write a book. It's been a thing that uh, my growing audience demanded of me in a way because I've been blogging a lot. It's like the Woodshare Founder, as you mentioned, is the blog that I started almost immediately after we um, sold the business just because I needed something to do. I had all these learnings from those two years and all the years before. And I just wanted to finally give back to this community of indie hackers, other founders, and just SaaS entrepreneurs that had always been giving information to other people, right? And podcasts like this, just sharing yeah. what they knew. And yeah. since I had benefited so much from that, I just wanted to start giving this information back to people that I had learned. So I started the blog. I wrote every week. I wrote a newsletter. I started a podcast myself to hold myself accountable because I'm super lazy. So if I don't have a reason <laughs> to do a thing, I uh-huh. don't do it. So I needed something that would have like this regular weekly schedule. And I wrote and wrote and wrote. And after a while, it kind of looked like all these things fit together. So I made it, turn it into a guide. And then somebody told me, well, I would pay for this if you could print it out. And I thought, okay, I could probably turn this into a book. Then I wrote the other half of the things that I wanted to write and I released a book in like June 2020, which uh, was, we- it's a weird year to release a book or to do anything, yeah. but it was fairly successful because I, I built this following of people on Twitter in particular that had followed me from selling the business through my first little steps on the blog to actually writing meaningful stuff that they value to then turn it into a product. So. In the book, I talk a lot, a lot about audience uh, first and like focusing on, on your audience, your community, and taking the product as a result of this and not as your original kind of um, starting point. The product is a result, not a starting point. That's one of the main points I make in the book. And that has gotten a lot of positive um, responses, a lot of good feedback. And now I'm working on my next project, which is another book that focuses on this point, the audience. And that's where I'm at. That's where I'm from, and that's what I'm currently doing. Yeah, very interesting journey. I mean, I mean, it from the looks of it, for the for the for someone new, it may look like you have just like, like you just made fifty five thousand uh, dollars, and then uh, you have been building, selling books, uh, you have been writing blogs, but then there is a whole journey that you have been doing slowly, slowly, 
mm-hmm. and it all i i guess it's a com- compounding effect and yeah. then you suddenly see a result right absolutely uh, uh, you made an interesting point right you you said you are building following on twitter you are building you have been sharing information online right so that mm. like you are gen- literally open sourcing all the stuff that you did to build yeah, a product build a successful product right yeah. uh, and then you are you are taking those learnings and now you have been you now let, let's let's go forward and talk about your latest book right so you have mm-hmm. been uh, working on a book called audience first right yeah. so try, tell tell us about like what like what made you do like write another book right just after zero to sold you are been writing audience first right and then the second question is like like you've been talking and getting feedback from people directly mm-hmm. right yeah. like what would you like to know about uh, like on in this book so j- share us the journey like what sure. what have you been doing and what is the story so so one of the the main uh, responses that i got to zero to sold was that people um the the later in the journey of an entrepreneur the more they understand what's going on it's pretty much like uh, if people are 2 years into building a business they have a pretty firm grasp on who they're serving what the product is and they understand their market they understand what options they have when it comes to selling their business or keeping it running or hiring all these things like it's pretty obvious you learn on the journey so yeah. you kind of in, ingrain these things over the years and the stage in the beginning like the, the moment where people choose to become an entrepreneur they haven't done anything yet right they haven't founded a business they haven't written any line of code or haven't used any no code tool to build anything yet they just really want to start a business that's the most scary moment and that's the moment where most people make a choice on what to start with and many people at least the one that come from conventional schooling conventional engineering school or or business school they are kind of they they think that the idea the big business idea that's where to start with right you you want to build i don't know tinder for cats or you want to build the next uber or you, like you know these these big things yeah. these big product based ideas because people see all these vc founded businesses making a lot of money these people of uh, the ceos getting rich of it or somewhat uh, some sort of notoriety they want to have that success but um they they start with the product they start with i need to make this just from their own imagination and that usually leads to pretty risky situations right if you start with an idea and you haven't validated anything about it you don't know if there's anybody who would buy it you don't know if it's actually solving a problem and if it is a problem is it a meaningful problem to people are there people out there that would actually pay money to have it solved and all these questions are there and people just ignore them because they think well they did uber i can might maybe my idea is just as big who knows right they completely lack this this fundamental approach to creating the idea in a validated way and i saw this because in my book i i tried to do this already in zero to soul like the first half of the book is one of four stages that i think an entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey has right the preparation stage anything before you actually start your whole business is the first stage and that fills half of the book the other three fill the second half of the book so they're much smaller in scope because you have to get it right from the beginning and i started with saying you need to find an audience and then you need to find a their critical problem then you need to find a solution that actually solves this problem in a way that fits into the workflow and only when you figured out the solution then you build it then you build the product most people start with the product they hope it's a solution they hope there's a problem that it solves and they hope that somebody pays for it so i'm trying to flip this around and that is quite literally the audience first approach and the more people read my book and the more I actually um started mentoring people and helping them through their own journey um I figured that people really struggled with this initial part. How do I find my audience? Not just how do I build an audience? That's also part of it, right? That's the kind of building a following. But to me an audience is more than than just a group of people that that listen to me. I I'm trying to find a definition and I'm I don't think I'm quite there yet, but to me an audience is everybody who should be interested in what you do, your business, what your business does or what your product does. One of these three things. And that can involve people who 
um, are currently customers, who might be your customers in the future, who were your customers in the past, who might be interested in building businesses like yours, that could, all could be your audience, right? Audience is a fairly large term and yeah. there's a lot of um, overlap with community. There's a lot of overlap with market. I'm trying to dis keep those distinct. It's kind of hard because everybody has their own definition. And that's also at the heart of audience first is to understand first what audience means, right? And then act on this because... If you think your market is your audience, well, then you're dismissing that there might be forces beyond your market that could also be your potential audience. If you think a community is your audience, well, then you're ignoring all the other communities around it that might also be potential customers. It's a very complicated thing, and I'm trying to rein it in into a, a format that people understand. And mm -hmm. since I'm trying to write a book about an audience-first approach, um, this was a shower thought, right? One of these things that just comes to you in the shower. I thought, well, yeah. maybe I should actually ask my potential readers what they want to know about and not just write the book, but actually do audience first in an audience first way. Like approach yeah. the writing of the book as if I were building a product for an audience that I want to serve. And that's what all successful businesses start with is understanding the audience that you want to serve eventually. You don't have to have them around you yet. You don't necessarily need to know exactly who it is, the exact people, but to know, I want to write a book for founders who struggle with building their business, right? Who struggle with getting to the point where they can get going. That's my audience. Yeah. So I asked on Twitter, right? That's, that's uh, the first thing I always do when I have a question. I have a couple thousand followers there and I asked them, well, are you interested in this? And people said, sure. So I made a landing page and I added like the, the kind of, you can send in information about what you want to read in the book and I will put it on the page, which is like, it's collaborative from the beginning and you can sign up to be an alpha reader. So once the first draft is done, then I'm going to send it out so people can critique it and tell me, is this too slow? Is this incomprehensible? Is this too much, too little? You know, like people love critiquing. So having um, an, a group, at this point, it's a couple hundred people who want to be an alpha reader for the book. So they get all the insight, but also they get my sloppy writing. So uh, I guess they have to deal with that. But the idea it's like is proofreading. It, exactly. It's proofreading, but by the people who actually care. With yeah. Zero to Soul, I had proofreading too, and I had an editor, but those were not the people that I was going to serve, right? These were professional editors, and I'm going to have professional editors and professional proofreaders, but the whole point is that before it goes to these people who make it really shiny, the book actually gets created within the community that it's supposed to serve in the end. And that's the idea behind the audience-first approach to writing the audience-first book um, about audiences. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of audience in this <laughs> one sense. That's right. So uh, I mean, like uh, I mean, I, I get to totally get your point because uh, I mean, uh, so but, uh, I've been building communities for for like past four five years. But then whenever I hear someone building communities, like so, we hear a lot of things like not built in community, like but build with communities, like mm -hmm. get 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 input from your community yeah. members, right? Build, uh, get input from your users uh, so that they can guide you on what to do next, right? Yes. And that's that's a good good uh, like uh, good point uh, for anyone like listening to this, right? Uh, like you, you you need to find your audience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you need to find your audience. You need to know who they are. Uh, yeah. And I think it's very different than like the startups that fancy these words like total addressable market, right? Like. It's, it's very like Silicon Valley. I mean, anyone yeah. who's building, it's total addressable market. I, Honestly, I don't that, think it makes that sense. Term, that, that term to me, just it yells, um, it, it, that is just about masses of people, right? Yeah. It, they don't care about the, in, the, in, the intent and the, the actual interests behind every single person. They care about yeah. a, a unified group. And yeah. that needs to be a general group. Like you, you, you're not going to talk about total addressable market and niche communities in, in the same sentence. Exactly. You could, yeah. because they're, they're opposites uh, in, in terms of scope, but particularly, and, and I'm, I call the, the block the bootstrap founder because I care about bootstrapping as a, like a financial means to building a business, right? As the opposite of a highly VC-backed business where they just throw money at you and expect you to explode and capture all that market in a bootstrap business, you could really slowly grow as long as it's sustainable 
doesn't matter how many customers you add in a month. The, your growth rate is, is completely up to you, how much you want it to grow, right? In, yeah. in an ideal situation, obviously you're gonna struggle to grow a business because it's always hard yeah. to do anything entrepreneurial. Yeah. But the idea is that you don't have somebody breathing down your neck telling you that you need to double your customer size before next month or you're gonna have a problem, right? There's, there's, yeah. a, there's something about control in owning the business that makes a big difference when it comes to at some point selling it or removing yourself from it and just getting like consistently building wealth, which we did through selling Feedback Panda. That was, that was the thing, right? We sold this business and now we don't have to work. That's, that's pretty much the idea that many, many bootstrappers have slowly, reliably, sustainably built value. And um, if you want to do that, and that's the whole point why I'm saying this, starting with a small, well-defined community or niche or market segment or whatever you want to call it, right? All these words kind of try to describe yeah. the same thing. It's a pretty smart move because either way, if the, the niche itself is growing, your market expands. Or if the niche is not growing, there's adjacent niches where you could more easily go into. They're not going to be the same. You're going to have different requirements, but at least you'll have a path, right? If you start with all the people, like building a tool for everybody who works in marketing, there's millions of people. You're not going to solve millions of people's problem, exactly. at the, like all their problems at the same time. But if you, if you want to go into like SEO, like specific SEO optimization or even like more smaller niche segments within that, right? SEO optimization for recruitment platforms. There is something there and there's a lot of platforms out there and they all need help. You know, like there's always a niche somewhere that you can start and that is big enough for you to build what is often called a lifestyle business. I don't like the term to, to me. It's derogatory, right? Because it's kind of, oh, it's not a real business. It's a lifestyle business. Hey, if my lifestyle is I wake up whenever, do some work for however long I want, and then I go to bed after having a great meal, if that's the lifestyle, don't mock it. It's pretty cool, right? If that's the lifestyle you can accomplish, then um, a lifestyle business is all you need. So that, that to me um, is the difference in approach. Because if you own the business, the whole business forever, then you, you're not beholden to these other powers that, that need you to be general. You can be specific. You can be the scalpel, right? You don't need to be the, the Swiss army knife that solves every yeah. single problem. You can be the highly specific scalpel that's used by somebody who operates on people, like a, a surgeon. Like You want that because people pay a lot of good money for these scalpels. For they, Swiss army knives, they may be expensive maybe due to brand recognition, but um, they, they don't do the job well, right? So um, being a specific is always something to start at, at least, um, start with, and that can be done in a niche community. So yeah, terms like totally addressable market make no sense for bootstrappers, at least not in the beginning. You might grow into this kind of sphere, but why would you? <laughs> I don't think you need yeah. to necessarily. Yeah, such a great point. I mean, like it makes sense, right? Like divide the broader segment into smaller parts so that you can have something. And and I guess it may make sense like for a bootstrapper, like for someone who wants to just like just grow one person every day. So this is famous saying, I mean, don't try to overgrow. And, and, and when you, when you have like VC money or something like that, like there's a pressure, but when you are just bootstrapping a business, just grow one person every day. And then you, you find what you are trying to do, like what you're trying yeah. to accomplish and then you get it. It's, it's also most people who bootstrap um, and, and build their businesses themselves. They don't have a big team, right? They, they need yeah. to be a generalist in their business. So, if you're already a generalist in your own business, you need the business to be specific because then otherwise you don't have any specificity. You're building a generic yeah. business for everybody and you need to do every single job, not going to happen, right? So um, I think you're right. Um, there's, there's definitely something, uh, something to that. <laughs> yeah, I always feel um, building, building a business in, in a smaller team gives you the opportunity to say no to more things. Yeah. When, when, you, when you look at VCs, they kind of expect you to follow the rules, right? There's, there's this kind of system where you have to CEO, you have to COO, and then you have a CIO, and you have a CTO, and then under them is like the VP of engineering, and then there's the VP of finance. You have the structure that you need eventually need to grow into. 
because that is how businesses work. There's the board and then you have these people. You know, it, it turns into this kind of um, role-playing game and you need to play your part, which is fine if you like it, right? I mean, I'm not bashing VC. I've been part of this world for a couple of years. It was super interesting. I met very interesting people and a lot of money was wasted on things that it shouldn't have been spent on. But it was, it was definitely an eye-opener for me to see, okay, this world is more about the formality of business than actually working on the things that matter right it's still there but for bootstrapper everything you do needs to add value to your business there's no way around that because if you waste your time you spend more money than you make well then your money's gonna be gone and there's nobody who can give you a couple million because it's just (laughs) you and your bank account right so just decisions you make in a, a bootstrap business are so much more focused on both the short term accomplishment of short-term goals but also long-term at the same time which i see not necessarily always with the vc-backed businesses that go from round to round right you raise you try to spend it try to grow at all costs and just hope that there's another round in the future yeah not not my kind of kind of project i mean yeah there's nothing against vc even for me i'm like you're just uh putting it out there I mean, mm-hmm. It's an interesting business for definitely whatever they're doing, whatever they're trying yeah. to do. But this is right. mostly for, I mean, whatever speaking, it's like, a, it's, it's for bootstrappers, right? Uh, so just, just, uh, and if you have a product that needs VC funding, right, then, then you have to get VC funding. If you want to build, exactly. build like the next, uh, like FinTech business, the next bank, well, you're not going to do this with like $20,000 <laughs> initial money. It's not going to happen. So there are definitely projects that, can only happen with external funding and it's perfectly fine to take it. But if you want to build your own little sustainably grown, eventually big business, start with a niche, don't need funding at all, um, embed yourself in your community, understand what their problems are and solve them for those people. Exactly. Like find your product idea from the problems that people are presenting to you today. That's like, you don't need to know what Uber clone you're going to build. You just need to listen yeah. to your audience. And that's kind of what I got like in, in writing. I, I just wrote, listened to the feedback, and then that guided me to what I was going to write in the future. And that guided me to the book, and that guides me to the next one. It's just listening to people will be pretty clear what they need. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I'm sure you know this person called Peter Levels, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the nomad list, right? So he's yeah. just a like, solid example of like one person or two person team doing like so much good work Mm -hmm. like millions of revenue uh, by what what he's doing it's a great example and whenever someone asks like hey just follow this guy Uh, yeah just i just want to say one thing he he also inspired me in many ways to to write my book about the journey because his make book is also pretty fantastic right and and i like this i like that there's people in the community that build in public that teach in public and that have no problem giving away their secrets. I try to do the same thing because they aren't secrets, right? The thing is I'm telling people to to start with an audience, find their problems, solve it, and then build something. It's not a secret. Like that's what everybody who successfully builds a business is doing. It's just some people have to hear it from you and, and some people haven't heard it yet, right? Just because somebody else has also written about this, like every business book essentially is about this or in some way or another, but I, I took my spin, sharing my story, hoping that I can inspire a couple of people. And apparently I have been. And Peter has been doing a phenomenal job at communicating his success, his failures, his projects, his project success, his project failures. There's so many cool tweets that he's been tw- uh, like, um, yeah, tweeting over the last years where he's been building stuff that didn't work out. And that's awesome. This is important. It's important for people to see that even Peter Levels, right, who's yeah. really well-known in the community and who's super successful with lots of projects, has these duds, things that don't work, things yeah. that should have worked but didn't. And he's fine. He just drops them and does something else. Right? It's important for people to see that this, this is a way to do it that they don't have to cling to their projects forever, but they can just say, okay, invalidate it, next project, right? And that's, that's why, I'm, why I'm so focused about talking about validating stuff all the time. The easier, um, or let's just say, the quicker you invalidate an idea, the better. Because then you can actually go to the next idea, which probably 
is better, still might not be, but at least you've proven that the last one you had didn't work, right? And if you only have one idea and you don't validate it and you build and build and build for years, well, you've wasted all this time. You waste all this right. time that you could have spent on more ideas, better ideas, more engaging ideas that people actually have problems with, right? So invalidating or validating, whatever you want to call it, I, I try to take the negative approach because you only need to find one good counterexample to the thing that you want to build to not build it, right? It's easy to find people saying, oh, yes, I would totally use that. Like a lot of people say that. And if you read the mom test by Rob Fitzpatrick, the book, which I highly recommend, you kind of learn how to not talk to people so they don't give you that answer. But um, if you ask for validation, you will find it somewhere. So I look for invalidation. I look for people who don't need this product. And the more of those I find, the more I think, okay, maybe it's not a good idea. So that's also why talking to people is so important and why being part of a community, being part of your future audience is elemental to any kind of success. Because if you don't know what they think, if you don't know how they act, well, how are you going to serve them? Yeah, 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 that's, that's so right. Uh, and uh, I mean, to add to your point, uh, like when you validate your ideas, uh, I mean, you, I mean uh, it's okay. If, like there should not be an emotional connection to whatever you're building. Right, yeah. uh, because that might just go. You might just go down the rabbit hole, and you might not find anything in that product. Just pick yeah. something else and start building or start shipping. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually wrote about this last week. I think because I'm right <laughs> now, in in addition to to writing, I'm also working on a new software as a service project. Because as a software engineer, I can't stop building, so I have to. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'm going to solve one of my own problems and uh, problems that I saw in the office space. So it's a, it's a link forwarding system for people who want to put stable links in their books, but not going to talk about that. The idea, what I wrote about was exactly what you were saying, because I was building a prototype of this thing just to see if it works. And if anybody thinks this is something useful and the more I build it, the more I kind of felt, oh yeah, I need to make it perfect. Right? It's like this, this, this perfectionism that we have as, as people who build products, because everything we see in the world around us is a mostly perfect product, right? Not that everything yeah. is great, but that people try the best with everything they produce. I'm talking into a microphone right now. That is the best it could be, right? The, all the research yeah. teams behind this, people making this microphone, they did the best job they could be. They produced the best mic. So um, this is what I see, a flawless thing, a thing that has everything I need. So when then I build something, I also feel, oh, this should have everything, right? It should have, it has a login, it has analytics and it has a payment system and it has this and that and notifications. And it's like, come on, I just wanted to build like a quick prototype to see if I can actually be physically done. And the, what, what I see and what I, what I wrote about was that I think on a, on a conscious level, on a cognitive level, we totally know that we should only build the, the minimum viable product, the absolute minimum to test. But on a subconscious level, on, on this kind of social animal level that we are, people who want approval, people who want other people to think we're great, right? We don't see it that way. We see our MVP and we think, oh, it's not perfect. I can't show it to anybody just yet. Oh, I have to make it better. Even though we know it's an MVP, this thing could be gone tomorrow. We still feel uh, it's not good yet. It's, it's this, mm -hmm. this inner like, the discourse that we're having with ourselves where I hope at least we get to convince ourselves that the cognitive approach, the one built this, check it, built the next thing, is the one that wins because everybody struggles with that. And the more technical you are, the more you struggle because every technical person has been trained to see flawless execution as the pinnacle of their job, of their profession. Mm -hmm. So it's an identity thing. If I don't build something perfect, then I'm a bad software engineer even though the idea was to build something imperfect, you know, it's um, so complicated and it's a, it's a, it's a big topic. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think, uh, I mean, the, your, your background and if you look at it, so I, I like, I, the, the story about like how you got into Twitter and started sharing because like you are a software, like a uh, programmer or like you are a programmer. Right. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's very rare to, I mean, or, or I could be wrong because uh, it's very rare to find someone from a software background uh, uh, on Twitter talking about it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Until you became, you become an indie hacker uh, mm -hmm. or a bootstrap business. Like, so how did you find your way into Twitter? Hmm. Well, Twitter always has been really helpful and for, for, from a software engineer's perspective because all the communities 
um, around the big, big programming languages kind of communicate on Twitter. Now, I guess uh, it, over the last couple of years, Slack has taken more of the market share because of the ease of building a community Slack and having the topics being discussed in different channels and stuff. But before that, at least, before Slack came uh, into, into the professional world, the Twitter was where everybody was talking about all these programming languages. It was a great source of just being able to talk to the people that actually made things, right? Um, people often share tutorials on Twitter, getting people onto their blogs, or they just talked about like new things, new features. It always was in the back of my mind, but I was never really active as a, a Twitter author, call it that, just tweeting a couple times a day, um, until I started blogging. So that was something where... I figured out, okay, now I'm not just doing this for myself anymore, right? I'm not just using Twitter as a fire hose of information that I sift through and figure out the nuggets. Now I'm actually trying to share something meaningful with other people on Twitter. And that having something to share, the blog posts, my knowledge that I gained over the years, that changed my approach to Twitter as not just a consumption tool, but a tool for creation. I, not only does it create cool tweets that people like that that is like the, the functional part but it actually creates an, a discourse it creates mm -hmm. communication between people and that it eventually manifests itself into community i don't think i could claim that i have a community around myself it's more like a following again i'm trying to be precise yep. but there is a community in which i'm um often engaged Right? There's lots of people that you already had on the show that are in the same community. Everybody's talking yeah. about building. Everybody's talking about building community, building products, building businesses. And people in that space that want to do that, either they listen until, um, until they start or they're already in the middle of it and they communicate while they build their business. And it's, it's an extremely enjoyable thing to see people struggling as much as this might be surprising. But seeing people struggle on Twitter usually means that either they overcome their struggle pretty much immediately and then talk about how they fixed it or somebody helps them overcome their struggle and then teaching happened and learning happened. And you can learn from other people learning. And that is just so amazing about Twitter as like this public community, right? Because nothing happens. I mean, a lot happens in DMs. A lot of business happens in, in Twitter DMs, but the the actual act of learning in, happens in Twitter public messages. Yeah. And if you follow the right people, you get to just enjoy that. And, and that's what I like about the community. That's also why I'm so active in there. Because it's just every day I see somebody getting a new monthly recurring revenue goal, or they build a new feature, they lend a new customer. Just today, somebody landed their mom as a customer in their business. Like mm -hmm. I just saw that on Twitter without her knowing necessarily that was the business of the guy, right? It's just, you, you see these stories of little small successes, but you know, 1% every day. And yeah. if you do that in public, you, you'll be at your, your um, yeah, yearly tripling everything, right? That, that's, that's just gonna, gonna happen. Um, yeah. Which is why Twitter is an amazing tool to build a community in our industry, right? Just saying that as a, um, as a there's limitation. There's a certain kind of limitation to Twitter. If you're building something in, for business or software or for, I don't know, like uh, in money Twitter, people's self-actualization, finance and stuff, Twitter's great. But if you're building something for plumbers, if you're building something for construction workers or for online teachers, the, the tool that we built, Twitter might not be so great. So you yeah, have yeah. to find your community and where they are, where they hang out, where their water cooler is, before you can meaningfully engage with them. And Twitter might not always be that tool. Reddit might be. Or private communities or like um, not necessarily private, but uh, just forums, web forums somewhere on the internet. There's a plumbing forum. There's a plumbing forum for Australian plumbers for some reason. I found all of this during my research uh, for, for, the, for the book. This is really cool. There's all these communities. You just need to find them, become part of them and listen to people. Yeah, yeah. So, right. So, uh, 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 yeah, I mean, go where your people are is like the famous wording of for uh, people where like if you want to build something first go and look for your people look for your tribe look for your community and engage with them right and yeah. try to get try to engage uh, or post try to engage one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, try to understand about yes. what you want to do and what they are looking for 
right and then finally mm-hmm. build a community or finally build something that that they want right yes. uh, that's the thing yeah absolutely so, yeah so i i had like this uh, question right so we are talking about building in public building an audience so yes. what's the downsize of like let's if someone is not building in public what's the downsize and if someone is building in public like and if they fail so what happens here right on on a on a reality level like uh, right. there's a check where it happens like uh, i just failed and like wh- where's the moti- motivation coming from right so i i think there's there's two different um incentives here one is that your business becomes successful that's always an ex- an incentive for for an entrepreneur but the other thing that i always feel personally is is more important to myself is that i'm learning and that i'm becoming more of an expert in the field that i'm in right and that could be anything it could be an online english teaching the software uh or that the audience for that the software as a service business that we built before or now it could be authors for my other project or it could be founders for my books right just want to be more engaged in these communities to become not just more of a uh, of a learner but also more of a teacher so i can share more of what i know with people and building in public to me is teaching by doing it's not teaching by standing in front of a class and lecturing it's actually teaching through action like you say this week i'm going to talk to 20 people about this uh this feature that i want to build and then a week later you say well i talked to 20 people 15 said well i don't really think i would pay for this but that sucks but at least you taught everybody who listened that audience exploration and validation of your feature idea can lead to invalidation and it can actually prevent you from building something that you shouldn't have built right so even though you might fail and the whole business might fail you as an expert you always climb up as the person your personal brand as a founder as somebody who's a domain expert or as somebody who's um a, a tribe um, a leader in a tribe leader in the community that always climbs up even if you fail because you learn in public and i think if you don't then you not only do you miss out on other people helping you with your problems you also miss out on elevating yourself in your community i know that not everybody wants to be an expert in their community and that is also fine but there's certain kind of um benefits that come with being a noticed expert in any community you get invited onto podcasts you get asked questions that might allow you to think about things differently you people ask you for help people ask you to join their projects people ask you to be on their boards people ask you to all the different kind of things just because they know you did not fear public humiliation by failing you were there you went through it and you came out stronger on the other side and that is why i feel motivated to do everything i do in public because first of sometimes people just reach out to me in an email telling me their opinion on stuff and many many times this is something that i hadn't considered before that the thing they write about so all of a sudden people give me some really meaningful consulting essentially for free just because i talked about it in public and you 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 could pay a good money for this if you were to go to a consultant but by being a, a part of a discourse this comes just from people's engagement because they like you they like what you're building or they like the industry you're working in and they want to share their two cents they want to give you their opinion it's just there's so many more benefits than potential risks there's always risks right building in public risks you being yeah. copied your product being cloned people building it better than you but hey if somebody can build a better product in an industry that you chose maybe you chose the wrong industry right maybe you're not really dedicated enough to that industry maybe you just thought you could make some good money but you don't really care about it as much so somebody else spent a bit more time and made a much better product you know like there's always risks in and in, in being public and there's a risk of humiliation and if you come from a culture where you don't talk about failure and you don't celebrate it you don't necessarily have to celebrate it you just have to understand it as a mode of bettering yourself but if your culture forbids this if you only boast right if that's the only thing you do it's hard to do it but it's a it's a global community people will understand that failure is an option and again maybe if you talk to people and they don't like you then they're not your audience so who cares right might <laughs> they just yeah. pick somebody else so i i think building in public is is absolutely valuable more valuable than it has uh, drawbacks or risks 
exactly exactly i mean that makes sense right uh, i think it also keeps you accountable of what you are doing like yeah. someone like yes. there's a high chance high it's highly likely someone else someone will i mean let's say let's talk about you if you are mm-hmm. if you uh, are like you're you're doing a podcast you're doing a newsletter i mean you're doing multiple things right and mm-hmm. one fine day you're not sending a push uh, a newsletter someone might definitely yep. reach out hey what happened right are you fine yeah. like and I, that's something i already amazing. get those i i i, <laughs> I recently i recently stopped adding links to my newsletter because i i just couldn't find the time anymore i used to have a lot of links interesting links to interesting projects mm-hmm. took those out now i'm just writing in in the newsletter like some narrative right that i have some some kind of yeah. article pretty much and people said wow i really miss those links like the, the week after I stopped, it's like got like five emails out of a couple thousand people. So it's not a lot, but still it's like, oh man, I really like those links. They were always really cool. And it kind of stung a bit, right? Because uh, now nah, man, I, I should have held myself to that standard. But in, in the end, people it didn't unsubscribe. Like I, yeah. I, I think that the newsletter has around 3000 um, readers at this moment. And I think every day I get more people joining than unsubscribe. Like, it's, it's, it just doesn't, doesn't happen. It just grows and grows and grows, but I'm not forcing it either. Right. I'm, I'm just, uh, just have a link on every, every part of my website to the newsletter. If people like my content, they subscribe. That's all. Yeah. Right? I, I don't, don't ask for more. And that seems to work with that, that one, the newsletter in particular keeps me super accountable. I know I need to have something by Friday, Friday at three, <laughs> there needs to be something, some, something. And even if it's just a short something, I, I have to come up with something. And I, obviously I have a lot of thoughts, so you can probably tell, but taking the time to even t- take a thought and put that into something meaningful, you have to schedule this. And then you have to record a podcast episode and you have to do, oh God, that's so much to do, <laughs> yeah, but I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. And for this community that I serve, I, I feel I, I owe them because there's been so many people that are, that were in the position that I am in right now, back five years ago when I was just an engineer. And I learned from them. Every single one of them taught me so much by being open and sharing what they knew, right? Rob Walling, one that like the uh, person by Tiny Seed and MicroConf and all these little things in our community, he wrote, wrote an amazing book that I read, Start Small, Stay Small, um, which triggered me to understand, oh yeah, this is something that I want. And then from there, I learned more about all the other people in the microconf universe which is essentially every bootstrap founder in a in the community and they taught me everything and then i built my thing and now i'm part of this i mean at, at microconf europe uh, last year we danielle and i my partner and i we had a little attendee talk about Fita panda and how we sold it and now i'm part of this community and that is awesome right it's like now i'm there now i can make this happen for other people and that's exactly why i wrote my book because i kind of wanted to write the book that i would love to have read five years ago. That's, that was the whole point. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's very solid because so I was, uh, I mean, I was talking to another community builder and she said the same thing, right? Uh, like start uplifting other people when you are in that position where you can uplift people, right? When you have given a chance, start appreciating like someone who is just starting and I'm really ex- like respect that you are already doing yes. it. And it's so amazing to know that you're doing it. That's, that's just amazing. Yeah. It, it takes, it takes very little, like per- particularly for me, I, I'm on Twitter every day. I see all these messages of people like reaching their first little goal. And I have a, like, almost 9,000 followers now. So by, by, by just retweeting, I give this person the opportunity to find everybody else, right? To yeah. find more customers, to find other founders that can help them to just be followed by other people. And it doesn't cost me anything. It's a little click. Well, it's two clicks, but really <laughs> that's, that's all there is. And it allows me to help them without really spending too much energy. And I, I really like this idea. Like empowering people is the most enjoyable thing that I could do. It's even more enjoyable than coding. It's even more enjoyable than writing. It's knowing that somebody else just has a life a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. Uh, so you mentioned a book starts small, stays small, right? Mm-hmm. So let's not go into the book, but then I, I saw somewhere in your like, uh, in your book, like audience first, you are, mm-hmm. you have this, uh, points what you're trying to, uh, mention, right. Yes. And you have, like you say, building, uh, micro communities instead yeah. of, uh, a community. So tell me about this, like what's, what's your take on building a micro community and why it is important. To me, it's important to find the right people. 
Right? You, you can, um, if, if you are indiscriminate of, of who follows you and who listens to you, then you, you don't really know who your following is. Right? If you, if you, if you want to, let, let's just completely ignore the fact that you want to sell them something in the end. It's just like, if, if, you, if you try to validate your product or your business or your idea with a community, well, don't you want your community to be the actual target of that? Right? And if you start a bootstrap business and you build a niche product, build a, a special thing instead of a generic thing, right? a specific thing instead of like an all-encompassing thing, well, then your audience is also very likely to be a very niche community, probably a tribal one too, where everybody knows each other, right? And, yeah. um, or where everybody should know each other because they're all connected. They all share the same ideas. They follow the same people. They have the same... Um, interests. So yeah, that, that kind of sounds like a tribe to me. And I think if you build a product for a tribe, then the audience you create around you and around your product and the audience that you serve should be that tribe or something similar, right? It shouldn't be yeah. too generic. And I think numbers, mer uh, they matter only to a certain degree. It's nice to have a couple tens of thousands of followers. It's probably great. But if you only need a couple hundred customers because you're selling your, I don't know, software as a service business for a hundred bucks a month, right? You need a hundred people, then you have 10K in MRR. Yeah. If that's all you need to pay yourself, pay your business and live your lifestyle, business life, then you don't need 10,000 followers. You just, just need a couple hundred of the right ones. So building... Um, a specific community. I, I, yeah, micro. The term micro really, really upsets me because I, I recently, there was a, um, a poll on Twitter or something where, where somebody asked like, how, how much MRR is, is, a, is a micro SaaS? And I was thinking like, that, that's not what micro means. Like micro is not about size, although it is um, like a unit of size, but I think it's, it's, it's the, the level of zooming that you do into the community, into the market, into, uh, into the audience. Like it's, it's a microscope. It's, it's not a micrometer, right? It's, it's like more about uh, the kind of precision that you talk about. So yeah. I, uh, I, I feel a, a micro SaaS can be a gigantic business. Like if you look at, like, look at Park.io, which is domain auctioning site for IO domains, really something super specific. It's run by one person and it makes millions a year. It's like pretty much what Peter Levels is doing, but on a, on a different yeah. uh, scale, like super specific. I, I think Peter's uh, product is less specific, which is why I'm, I'm talking about Park. So that is a micro SaaS to me. And that is a micro community that he serves. People who care about .io domains. Like that is very small and very specific niche, but apparently it makes a millions. So can't say it's not a smart business to, 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 to build and not a smart community and audience to engage. So I think when we talk about micro, it's the level of detail that we look into, not necessarily the size. Yeah. Okay. That, that's that's amazing. And because I was thinking micro could be a number, like and like you said, right? Micro doesn't mean like numbers. I I mean I, I still don't like trying to kind of uh, understand uh, because like I mean a lot of times when someone says a micro like you said micro SaaS it's it's mm -hmm. always they always try to talk about numbers yeah uh, and when it comes to communities I mean uh, I don't think there's a difference between a community or a micro community like, I, I don't think so either and 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 maybe yeah. maybe it's even it's the strength of the bonds within the community maybe a micro community is more tribal than a regular community because people know each other because it's smaller, but not smaller in the sense that it's fewer people. It's more that it's cozier, right? They're, they're all more together in a way. Um, yeah. that's, that's what I would think because I, I see so many specific communities where you, you know that everybody knows each other. And if you mention somebody, like if you mention KP to me, I know who that is because that is within what I would assume is, is it's a micro community of indie bootstrappers that mm -hmm. is still a pretty large group of people, but they're all laser focused on one thing. It's not like fans of beer, right? I mean, they're all focused on one thing pretty much, but there's yeah. so much beer out there. It's craft beer. There's like light beer. There's beer. From, I come from Germany. Like we have 40,000 different beers in this country. And if <laughs> beer, being a fan of the beverage, the beer is super unspecific, but saying you're a fan of, I don't know, like Berliner Weisse, 
that is a, a beer from Berlin that has a super interesting history and it's super um, bitter and people have started adding pop or like a soda to it for some reason because um, it, it used to be a post-war beverage that was so bitter that people couldn't drink it without adding something sweet. Like there's specificity in being a fan of Berliner Weisse as a kind of specific beer. And if you want to serve those people, you could make a you could start a brewery in Berlin brewing just this kind of beer and make a lot of money. There's actually something like this here, right? So mm-hmm. you, you don't have to, to go into the large community to find money and to find a viable business. It can be highly specific. And people who like that particular beer, they know of this brewery. You can be very sure about that, right? They know who the, the brewmaster is because those people are working in public. They're giving interviews. They're trying to build up a following. They're building up a scene in the city. It's, it's all about specificity when it comes to micro. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Building a specificity. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is amazing. Extraordinary, <laughs> I must say. Uh, so, uh, uh, okay, I, uh, we are coming to end. Uh, I was reading your blog about like uh, audience first doesn't mean like you should build an audience first. Right. And, and it's a big one. Like, I mean, I am I'm, I'm for all the listeners uh, will 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 uh, on the show notes will add the blog. Uh, but you had an interesting observation where you talk about rock concert uh, and, and, and the audience, what it means. Right. Like yeah. a singer uh, sing, like doing a live shows. Uh, it's not an audience. It's something else. Right. Because it's a. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be great to uh, understand what <laughs> what was your... I can, yeah. I can go into that. Well, the thing is, the term audience to me it has always been, like, like I said earlier, it's, it's a point of contention because you ask any founder, they have a different definition, what it means. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what it doesn't mean to just make it easier to understand, um, for me at least, what it doesn't mean. And when I think of audience, I really visualize it as a rock concert. Like somebody's standing on stage, they're playing their music, they're really good at what they're doing, and I am part of the audience. I'm listening, and I may, I maybe, I paid money to get into the concert. I may be buying a T-shirt, and that's it. My role as an audience member is a consumption role. It's a role of taking in something, enjoying it, and then that's it. I have no connection to that person on stage other than the mental connection that I have, being a fan of the music that they make or something. But they don't, like, I don't talk to them. They don't talk to me, they talk at me. That is to me the, uh, the standard definition of an audience, right? It's people who listen. I mean, that's, that's the, the word audio is in there. And it's like, like it's, it's a listening group, group okay. of listeners. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that because in the world of business, dialogue is essential. And in the world of, ongoing business and in, if the more i look into software as a service businesses and courses and communities it's an ongoing transaction right it's not just you buy something once and then you never buy it again you pay your monthly fee to be part of the community you pay for that newsletter every month you pay for that SaaS tool every month it's a never-ending transaction and when it comes to transactions it used to be you go to the store they try to sell you as much as they can you pack it up you pay for it, you're out, and you never come back. That's the perfect transaction in the past. But now we're looking at you come into the store and then you live there for the next five years. It's totally different. Now you build a relationship with people. You build a relationship with your customers from before they pay you money until like, while you pay money. And, and even beyond that, when, when they start paying you money, you still have a relationship with your customer. And building relationships, is not something that can happen by talking at people. You have to be talking with people. You have to be talking to people and people have to be able to talk to you, which is why I feel the audience first approach is not just about building an audience first. It's not about like building a following and then selling them something. It's actually putting the audience first. It's having everything you do be something that is like a response to a need that is expressed by your audience. Everything you try to do, you need to validate with those people. Everything you sell needs to solve a problem for your audience. And if your audience changes, your business needs to change. 
right? We had that a couple of times with Feedback Panda, some regulation in China. Like we, were, we were serving online teachers that were teaching English to Chinese children. And then China had some regulations, which meant, like, I, don't, I don't know, the kids couldn't be taught online later than 9 p.m. Because a lot of parents in China really, really stuffed learning into their kids. And they were up until like 11 p.m. just learning English online. They were sleeping during the lesson because they couldn't handle it anymore. China understood, put some law in there. But that shifted the schedule because now all of a sudden people living in the United States that have been teaching that late, which means like until 11 in the morning in, in, in the U US, could only teach until like seven or eight in the morning. And all of a sudden that meant they had to get up earlier. So we needed to make, make sure that our tool was usable by people who just woke up. Like all of these things needed to go into the, the business. We needed to shift our messaging we needed to help them schedule stuff better, just figure out things differently because something happened to our audience. So your business needs to be responsive. And it's like, it's a relationship that you actually have with every single customer. It's a back and forth, right? They have needs. You try to satisfy their needs. Needs change. Your way of satisfying those needs changes as well. It's a dialogue, an ongoing dialogue. So putting the audience first instead of creating the audience first, that I think is, is the essence of that story. And understanding an audience, not as the rock star audience, where um, you yell at them and they love you for it, right? That's not the same. It's, it's, uh, it's more like, I don't even know how to say it better, but it's, it's a conversation. It's a conversation that you have on an even level. You want to be part of your audience. You want to build something for your peers, not for somebody that stands in front of a stage admiring you. I think those days are over. I built software tools for other authors. I feel I'm an author myself. I built this for myself at this point. And now I'm also trying to build it for other people. And I write books for founders, being a founder myself. I wrote the book for myself back then, right? Like I just said, um, obviously I can't go back in time and give myself the book. I wish I could, but I'm giving the book to somebody else who hopefully will have as much fortune as I have over the, the last couple of years. So being part of your audience, being part of the group of people you want to serve is essential to build a meaningful relationship that is sustainable and can sustain a business in the end. Yeah, that's so, that's so great, right? Uh, building relationship with customers, it's like, it doesn't happen by talking at people. Yes. You have to like, you have to like talk with like to them yeah. kind of thing. Like you have to Absolutely. bring them in and talk to them. That's how you can build relationships. And, and again, like, uh, like you build for yourself. So, uh, uh, so, uh, I was reading about, I, I, I'm not recalling the author name, but, uh, what he said was, uh, uh, Morgan Housel, the, uh, like mm. he's, he's very famous for like mm -hmm. a lot of things. So he said the same thing. Like he started writing for himself, right? Yes. Uh, it was not for anyone. Like he started writing for himself and then you will definitely find people who who are interested in what you're writing because they resonate with you yes. and it, it's very similar to what they want to learn. And then you find your niche, right? find your like people, find your tribe. Yeah. And you also have your own authentic voice, right? And you're not trying to, to copy anybody's style. If exactly. you write with your own style, like you can't, like you're writing for yourself. Well, you know how you want to have something in a certain way. And I, I think th that's definitely a, a, a very good um, recommendation when it comes to content, like any kind of content. And I, I don't mean content in this marketing sense. I just mean teachings. It sounds a bit weird, but things that other people might, might find relevant to their learning journey, right? Yeah. I, I write a lot of stuff that to most people makes no sense because I'm talking about software acquisition and like due diligence and stuff. Like many people don't go into this, but those are also not my audience. My audience are the people who might eventually get into a position where they sell their business and then they need to know what to do, right? So yeah. I, yeah. I talk to, to them as I would talk to myself because I need to understand what I, what I go through and I need to understand what the steps are. So I might just as well talk to myself or talk to them as I were talking to myself. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a lot of meta a lot of meta layers in this, right? Audience first building an audience first product and like talking to other people by talking to yourself. It's um, a lot of reflection, I think, in, in, yeah. in, a, in the physical sense almost. It's like mirroring um, in a way. Yeah. And that's also what being part of your audience is all about. It's like being among those people, being one of them is being, one, is being an audience member. 
right? And if you know what you feel as somebody in that group, then you can expect to understand what others feel and you can build your understanding of problems and solutions from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, so helpful. Uh, so uh, where is the book coming out, Arvind? <laughs> uh, if only I knew. Well, I'm still writing. Um, uh, the, the interesting part is, of course, I also, I have to finish it now and put it out there. Got to do it. But um, there's still uh, still a lot to, to do on the book. Um, I... Uh, I can't tell you what I can uh, suggest is that you go to audiencefirst.link and you sign up as an alpha reader because then I'll definitely tell you I'm going to send the, the first first um, draft once it's done. It's not going to take me too long. This is not going to take me more than a the couple of weeks or months. But, you know, I, I want to do it justice. This is a project that is dear to me. That's important because so many people struggle with this. But um, I, I definitely think... Uh, the first draft version will probably hit this year um, before the end of the year and uh, early next year is when it's going to come out. Because honestly, like releasing and publishing a book, self-publishing a book, it's not that complicated once you have the book. Like all the other things, the logistics are pretty easy. It's easy to write a book. I mean, it's hard to write, but it's easy to publish. Um, and that, that won't take much, but I want to have a good book before I start publishing it. So uh, it'll, it'll take a bit of more time. Nice, nice. So, uh, where can, uh, I mean, thanks a lot. Uh, I mean, for personally, I loved like our conversation, like uh, great insights for me personally. Uh, so, uh, and, and thanks again. Thanks a lot. So where can we, like our audience, our listeners find you, uh, our so, audience, our audience, find you. <laughs> audience <laughs> slash community slash total, total addressable market. No, uh, we, <laughs> Uh, you, you can find me on Twitter. It's the, the best best place to find me because that's where I'm most active. Um, I'm there at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-E-H-L. Um, and you can find my my blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. I, I write there every single week and the newsletter and the podcast are linked there as well. And finally, I guess Zero to Sold, my book is at zerotosoldbook.com. You can figure out all about all, all about the book um, that's sold on Amazon and Gumroad. So if you, if you like you like a hard copy that's for amazon but yeah that's that's the three places my blog my twitter and, and the zero to soul book.com awesome awesome uh thank you so much uh, for coming on arvid uh it was great to uh it was great listening to you yeah it was an absolute and, pleasure thanks yeah and that's a wrap for our today's episode <laughs>